Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. Just another quick reminder to subscribe wherever you podcast. And as always, do reach out if you have any questions or comments or concerns or, I don't know, cool new songs to share or pictures of puppies or like, you know, ponies or stuff. I like ponies too. Um, anyway, you can email me egraney at postmedia.com or track me down on Twitter, ML Graney. Enjoy this week's episode of The Press Gallery. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Emma Graney. This is the Pipewine edition. Nice. Yeah, works on many <laughs> levels. It's Friday, February 23rd, 2018. And with me today, I have my legislative colleague, Claire Clancy. How are you, Clancy? Good. Glad to be back. Well, yeah, you were away last <laughs> week. No one noticed. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I noticed. You weren't no. there all week, right next to me. I was visiting my niece. Yeah, oh. So I'm back. So your niece like a month old or something? Yeah, she's very alert. <laughs> that's that's, that's positive that, for a baby. That, 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 that's new parent code for she doesn't sleep. <laughs> I had a very alert baby. 21 years later, I'm still catching up on the sleep debt. Paula Simons. Hello. Sleep deprived, apparently. <laughs> right. no, now, now I have a puppy. It's just it's the same thing all over again. You're doing it to yourself, though. <laughs> and Graham Thompson. I'm alert. Yes. You're alert, but not alarmed. Hey, there you go. That was actually a terrorism thing in Australia, an anti-terrorism thing. Be alert, not alarmed. <laughs> she say Keep calm and say carry something. on. And they had they sent out these um, fridge magnets to people. Alert, not alarmed. <laughs> I think you have to save that as a title for an upcoming podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it will present itself at the opportune time. So today, of course, we are going to be talking the pipeline war slash battle slash spat slash whatever the heck it is now. Um, there are a few recent developments there yesterday uh, with BC and then Alberta stepping back its wine ban. Also, we're going to talk about the Auditor General's report, specifically to do with class sizes. Let's start off with pipelines because that was the big news this week. Yesterday was an, a late afternoon thing. Clancy, you got to hang around late to do this. Yeah, it was fun. Hooray. So wine ban is gone. Um, it was lifted. And uh, reasoning is that basically on January 30th, uh, BC Premier John Horgan had put together this kind of five-point plan. He was putting for public feedback. One of the points was to restrict bit, uh, bitumen shipments to Alberta, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. From, Al- from Alberta. For, sorry, from Alberta, potentially. And... Um, yeah, basically, he came out yesterday in a press conference in Victoria and said, um, of that five-point plan, we're going to go ahead with the other four. Uh, the fifth point, the one that was contentious uh, to Rachel Notley, has now um, is going kind of to court, but uh, basically is now no longer an issue. We're getting legal advice, he kept saying. Right. So I think, um, so I think the premier uh, lifted the ban. She said she shelved it using a knife uh, a nice uh nice wine pun, there. pun. Good. and yeah. um and yeah so now that's that's kind of done there. yeah so you know she's she's declared victory she's packed up her tents and declared victory and announced that they they blinked they blinked they backed down from their illegal uh, attempt to regulate how much bitumen would come out of the pipes and now they're going to go to court and the premier says for sure they're going to lose and so she's happy um, Graham is not so sure about no, not at who all. blinked. Graham's no, shaking his no, head. No, I, I think this is a huge mistake on Notley's part. I think to me now the pipeline is less likely to get built, and Notley is in more trouble than she was 
yesterday morning. The thing is, I'm going back to Paula's point. This week you're talking, you were likening her to... Um, the, uh, the Iron Lady, the lady's not for turning, I said, in what may have been an act of, of hubris and hyperbole on my part. Well, no, I think it's, it's a really good point. <laughs> Notley had a lot of people backing her up, conservatives as well, saying good for her on this wine boycott, right. getting really tough on British Columbia. Right, and I, I made an argument in my little online essay that just as only Nixon could go to China, that Notley, as a New Democrat with an environmental pedigree, could actually be louder in her fight and rally more people, that even if Jim Prentice or Alison Redford had said precisely the same thing, people wouldn't have been as amazed. Uh, you know, it would have been, it would have sounded phony, but, you know, because she has the environmental bona fides, she can come out all guns blazing. So right, it was a theory. It was working for her. And the thing is, now, she's looking at, looking at this like a, like a lawyer. You've got, Horgan has backed down. So that fifth point, dealing with the, you know, the pipelines and who has a jurisdiction over the pipelines, he may you know, take it to court, and not these people are thinking, it will never go to court. He'll lose that. Fine. It doesn't matter. We're going, we've gone back in time one month. We've gone back to January, where the B.C. government's being very passive-aggressive in stopping the pipeline. It's you know, very Canadian of them, though. You know, by using every legal maneuver, appeal, everything they possibly can do to stop the pipeline and delay it. Not, not kill it, just get to the point where the company gives up going to build that pipeline. We asked Notley about that yesterday. She said she doesn't think that it will delay the pipeline. What do you think of that? Well, argument? that's just that we have... You know, Graham's shaking his head again, listeners. Well, <laughs> we, we don't know. It's not under construction. What she really needed yesterday... Was no, she wasn't going to get this? Would be Horgan saying, you know, I made a mistake. I went too far. <laughs> Sorry about that, Alberta. We don't have jurisdiction over the pipelines. That fight is done. We'll just look at the environment now. Didn't get that. Horgan did not come out and say, I'm backing down. He's gone to the courts, of course. Not he sees that as a victory. He really is backing down. This thing may not go to court. It doesn't matter if it goes to court. Uh, Horgan overstepped his opposition to the pipeline by getting involved in a constitutional issue. He's dropped that now, apparently. We're back to where we were a month ago with the B.C. government being very passive-aggressive in its opposition to this pipeline, using every legal maneuver it possibly can to delay it. And this could be delayed another year. And Notley needs this pipeline built, or at least under construction, this year to have a chance of winning the next election. Without that, but but what could she? I mean, how could she have kept up the wine blockade? I think she could. If but by saying, and, she, and she's accused Horgan before of playing games. You know, uh, she said before, Horgan's playing games on his whole thing with the pipeline. She could have said, look, I'm keeping this, um, you know, John, you've played games in the past. We don't really know what you're up to right now. We're going to keep this wine um, blockade, uh, the boycott, in place until we actually have a better idea of what you're actually up to because we don't really trust you. I think what's actually happened here, the reason that she, he has backed down, so to speak, and she has dropped the boycott, I'm assuming, I'm presuming, I'm suspecting there was some sort of back-channel <laughs> deal Thursday where Horgan, okay, I'll take it to court. You know, I'm using the air He's quotes using here. using air quotes again. And she will then lift the, the, uh, the wine boycott, and then they're both winners. In fact, to me, she is potentially a big loser in this. Everyone's she a loser. Notley did, though, say, like, she made a point to say, we will bring in other retaliatory measures if um, BC decides to try to delay the pipeline again. But I, I think the problem there is that she's lost that opportunity. Uh, Horgan's learned a lesson here. He overstepped his bounds. He gave her a club 
last month by bringing in that fifth point on the constitutional issue. He gave her an opening to go after BC and become the Iron Lady. He's learned his lesson. He won't be that overt again. And so good luck her, with her trying to bring back any sort of trade retaliation when he's playing a passive-aggressive game where he's, not, he's a moving target or there's no real target there to hit. But I still think it would have been very difficult for her to, I mean, under the, Graham was reminding me when, before we started recording that alcohol is not covered. Under the, the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, which is what BC was going to appeal it under. And alcohol is a completely separate issue. They're still studying that right now. Because even if legally Alberta could have maintained the blockade on BC wine, I think it would have been very difficult to go on doing it morally i mean you start you run the risk that you look petulant right if he if he backs down from the from the fifth point and she doesn't budge at all then i i think there's a potential for that to backfire but but you're right and of course dear albertans you have every right and and you probably would graham would argue a responsibility to go on personally boycotting i mean since 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 i don't really drink much um i am going to continue I'll take that up for I'm, you Paula. i'm, I'm going to continue my my, my, my bc <laughs> wine boycott i think it is fair to say i've never purchased a bottle of bc wine uh and i probably or any wine for that oh, matter no i mean I, I, I buy it for when friends come to dinner but it's never bc I don't think I've ever bought a bottle of BC Ooh. wine. Um, you heard it wow. here first, folks. Paula wow. did the boycott before Where it was even you in play. Wow, that you're like a boycott hipster. Um, <laughs> you were doing it before it was cool. Because uh, you know, I, I used to live in Ontario. I will oh, often uh, buy Ontario wine. That's uh, fair enough. Chilean okay, wine, you, I don't Paula, know. I, mean, I want to ask you about something you said there. You said that um, Notley runs the risk of looking petulant. But to whom? To Albertans or to British Columbians? Because who gives a flying rats if we look petulant to British Columbians? It's looking, it's 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 Albertans' reactions that she needs to care about. Well, here. it's Albertan reactions, but she also needs to care about the rest of Canada's reactions because, I mean, what she really needs is national buy-in to this. I mean, it's interesting. Scotiabank came out with a report this week that, like, you know, in which they estimate that. Uh, the loss of pipeline capacity, the delays in pipeline, and, and not just Trans Mountain, but they're talking about all pipelines, it costs the Canadian economy close to $16 billion a year. Uh, you know, she needs to be able to have the full support of the federal government and the other provinces to say, hey, British Columbia, uh, you've got to get out of the road, because as long as it remains an Alberta-BC battle, we can't win. It has, to, it has to be something that has the full force and effect of the rest of Confederation saying, yeah, see, only um, we, we kind of need the pipeline to get to Tidewater. And that, that is something that I think has been so interesting is that the last few weeks of this interprovincial trade war and it's, you know, where is the federal government on this? It's in mm. India. Right. In in really in really cute outfits, matching outfits. They're just getting so great public publicity. Yeah, you yeah. know, having pictures yeah. taken with convicted terrorists. Woot! <laughs> Hooray. That's not uh, Did you listen to a, a, the interview last night on As It Happens about this? The right. Indian I'm way off topic here, aren't I? The, the Indian <laughs> uh, journalist being interviewed about the, the perception of um of Trudeau in India and he said people are, are laughing at it. It's very cute, they said, but they're, yeah. they're laughing. He's becoming more Indian than the Indians, the way he's dressing. He's, like he's <laughs> dressing up for an Indian wedding and there's no Indian well, wedding. I mean, is he going to go to Germany and wear nothing but lederhosen the whole time? <laughs> I mean, I, I would actually pay cash money for that, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not going there. No, I, I want to jump in. Sorry, I, I, I do want to ask about um, th that point of the federal government. Horgan was asked about that yesterday and said 
the feds are not on side with us on this. So BC is just going to go it alone and do our own little court battle there. So it does sound like the federal government was at the table with BC going, you can't do this. Oi, stop it. Oi, hands down. And just like smacking their little hands off of it. Like, fuck you, we're going to do it ourselves then. Whatever. That was my impression you, of BC. You did that so well. It's, Thank it's, you. It's like being in the room with them. I know. <laughs> I did live in BC for three and a half years. I feel like I really nailed that character. Okay, it's, it's a good point. I think that this is sort of, to me, the, the, the backroom deal went on. I think Paul is right. You got the federal government saying, look, you know, to, to both of them, okay, Horgan, you back down, and uh, hey, Ra- Rachel, you lift that, um, that wine embargo or the wine boycott. The thing is, it doesn't look like she won anything, though. And that's the thing for, mm-hmm. for domestic politics. Nothing really has changed. This pipeline is not being built anytime soon. We're still waiting for the Court of Appeal um, ruling. That there was a um, public hearings last fall, October. There'll be a ruling coming out about the environmental issues. I think it's, got, it's going to be backing the pipeline. It won't change anything because Horgan is still going to be delaying this. You're right. It'd be difficult for, in some ways for Notley to keep the wine boycott going if you have Ottawa saying behind the scenes, look, Horgan's backing down, you better back down as well. The thing is, Horgan is not saying he's backing down. She could have said, look, this isn't clear enough for me. I want him to actually back down, not put it off to the courts um, because he is still doing this passive-aggressive dance with us and he's he's playing games. You know, the thing is, for a week she had had a bump and I had Mm -hmm. had a fascinating letter in my inbox um, after I, I did my little video essay from a guy who said to me, you know, he's like a rural Albertan. He said, I certainly didn't vote for them in the last election, voted Walt Rose in the last election, but, you know, I hate what BC is doing and she's got my vote for the next election. And I thought, wow. I mean, that Golly. that is not, that was not from an NDP voter, let me assure you, from the context of our of our previous correspondence. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's fascinating to me to see that she was... She was winning some hearts and Yeah, minds, for a moment. And I, think, I think that that's gone now. I would say that because you know, the UCP last night was very quick to put on usually saying that she's backed down too quickly. She's you know, she's turned off the pressure on BC. I think she could have pushed it a lot harder on BC to get this pipeline built because she, right now, yes, it's, it's the, um, the pipeline and jobs and the economy, but also for Notley, it's her political survival. And, and this pipeline and her survival are, are tied very closely together. Yeah, they're intertwined with their little... I'm, I'm doing an intertwining with my fingers, but you know, can't see that at home. They're twinned, just, just like the pipeline wants to be. Oh, that's sweet. Oh. Okay, let's move on to the Auditor General's report, which came out yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Oh, my <laughs> God. Long day was... Yesterday <laughs> yeah. was a long one. <laughs> so there were many parts to this particular... Well, like any Auditor General report, you know, he doesn't ever just kind of concentrate on one area, does he? But this seemed more diffuse than some in the past, a, a wider oh, it was range all over of things. The shop. It was all over the shop. We had um, we had the class size initiative. We had the uh, Sturgeon Refinery. We had expenses through ministries. We had, yep, True North. We had um, the Climate Change Office. Oh, uh, Northland School Division, that oh something else. Oh yeah, post secondary. Oh my, it, it was chapter upon chapter upon chapter. Lovely, great big read for you to put yourself to sleep at night if that's what you wanted. But I wanted to zoom in on the classroom size here. This is really interesting because this mm. goes back way, 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 way back. Two thousand and four. You know, to many progressive conservative governments ago. That's before I was even in Canada. So two thousand and four. 
there was all of this concern in in the wake of the they had a special commission about schools, uh, you know, in in the wake of of a teacher strike, and they said, okay, we're going to put in more money for a class size initiative, which sounds all very jolly. But what the auditor general was pointing out is that the money has just basically been going to the boards. Uh, and effectively flowing into their base funding. And there's no way to tease out whether the class size money is actually doing anything in particular to reduce class sizes. And he said, you know, if you're, if you're, just, if you're just increasing their base grant, okay, but then don't pretend it's a class size initiative. And, and that was for K to three specifically? Yeah. Right? It, well, it's, um, yeah. it's a class size initiative works across all the different grades, but it's failed when it comes to K3 right. because the class target that they had there was, I think, 17 kids, which is incredibly small, is it not? Like, am I the only one who grew up with, like, 30 kids in a class pretty much my entire primary school? Yeah, you know, the, the problem is, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I, I, I've had a child of elementary school age. If you've got a really, really, really good teacher, uh, I mean, a brilliant teacher can do more with a class of 27 than a mediocre teacher can do with a class of 12. So... You know, I, I think in some ways class size became a, sort of a symbolic proxy for a bunch of other issues in the education system. I mean, and as I say, this class size initiative came in the wake of a very ugly teacher strike, and uh, then they had this whole big public and you know task force that looked at education, and it you know it's a complicated issue. So they sort of teased out one factor and said, well, class sizes, and we'll put money there, but. You know, I, I don't think the auditor is general is saying that it's it's bad to give, you know, bad to give money, but it's bad to give money if you have no way of tracking whether those funds actually specifically went to solve your stated problem, um, whether this, you know, whether that goal was ever uh, achievable, because you know you can also, I mean, it's an average, right? So if you've got a small rural school that only has eight kids in grade one, you, you know, you average that in with a school that has 30 kids and then you say see where <laughs> he did um he did point out that averages point actually the oh, well, i wasn't even there see so yes. yeah he said you can't look this is not the kind of thing where you can work on averages with because exactly your point paul you might have you know some school divisions going really small and some school divisions just not even doing it but the point he was making is there's not oversight here there's no way to track it it's failed in k to Three and we have no idea why. You have absolutely no idea why because in 2008, um, I believe school divisions and sorry, school districts were kind of having a bit of a whinge to the education department saying, ah, reporting, it's so hard, ah, so hard, make it stop. So you do that so well. Like it's, it's, like, it's, it's actually like being there. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm so good at impressions. Um, so the education department of the time went, okay, cool. Well, just don't worry about reporting it. So from kind of 2008 <laughs> to now, no one has had to report what they're doing with this cash, what programs it's going towards, or what outcomes that they're seeing. So we spoke with David Egan yesterday, um, and he said the program is going to continue, but he, he didn't seem to have any concrete me like, idea about what measures the education department's going to put in place here. It's fascinating to me that this far on into Rachel Notley's mandate, how many of the Auditor General's reports are still dealing with messes that she was bequeathed by by the government before her. I mean, and it's funny in the public might be like, oh, the government, well, the government is failing on this. Like, well, in 2004, Rachel Notley was 
mean, she wasn't in politics until 2008. So, I mean, none of this, none of this can possibly be the, their fault. But you know, but you're left, you're the one left holding the bag. You know, when the, you know, when, when it's it's musical chairs and the music stops. But, but at the same time, though, Paula, if something was really, really good to happen in yes, 2004, uh, oh, they'd, they'd be sure today to be taken <laughs> credit for it. <laughs> but you know, it's so, and it's the same with the, with the Sturgeon Upgrader, which is a, you yeah. know, which was a an Ed Stelmack special project. Uh, you know, so we put billions of dollars into having our very own upgrader so that we could have our very own upgrader. And it's really spooky that you're like, is it working? Are we getting value for money? Are we still exposed to more and more risk without any province of actual return? I don't know. We just decided we should help build an upgrader because. And... <laughs> You're, you're exactly right, Paula. That was another chapter of of the report that the Alberta Petroleum Marketing Board had just kind of leapt in when the capital costs got too high, yep. and then <laughs> lent a whole bunch of money. His criticism with that wasn't so much this has all happened. He's like, look, uh, who can say if that's a bad deal? Who can say? Who can ever really know for <laughs> sure? But the problem with that is there are re- these inherent risks associated with it. Yep. But there are also benefits and potential revenue, you know, revenue yep. streams here. But none of that is being reported to the public because there is no annual report from the marketing board. So basically, our Burtons have absolutely no idea what risks they're being subjected to here or the benefits they're being subjected to. For here. a multi-billion dollar project. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it, remember, it's not the Auditor General's job to say whether uh, you know average class sizes of 17 is a good idea or whether it was a good public policy to build a sturgeon upgrader. Um, you know, what he looks at is how are we tracking these things? And it should concern you no matter where you are on an ideological spectrum if we don't have systems in place to tell you if the stuff <laughs> we spend money on is actually working. There was another part to this report, and I'll just mention it briefly. Um, I didn't get in to it in my story because there was a billion other things in that report I had to get to. But when it comes to expenses in ministries, uh, he was particularly disappointed with the Indigenous Affairs Ministry. They are routinely not putting in receipts, and not tracking their uh, expenses properly. Yeah, he. And when I was asking him about, you know, can you rank this report? What's most important to least important? He said, look, honestly, the expenses bit least important for sure, but. It's just annoying. And I said to him in the press conference, is this just a bummer? And he said, they're your words. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> because but, remember, Sir Harry doesn't use words like that. Yes. He's a very, very courtly man. <laughs> because he's been, every single report, it seems like, he's looking into expenses and he look, he's looking at how ministries submit their receipts and whether they're doing it properly. And it's almost like he can see every single time there's someone not doing it properly. His exact quote was, this is not rocket science. (laughs) Why is it that only one ministry is just ballsing it up so badly? He He didn't didn't say say that. That's a paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) So we asked Richard Fian about this yesterday. He came down into press gallery. And he is the minister of minister. Thank you. Um, And he said, look, Yes, we've realized this is the problem when the Auditor General brought it to our attention. Didn't kind of realize it was a problem. So I've hired more people in my department. Oh, to excellent. Bring us up. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently his, his uh, ministry was well lower than, than other ministries. So they just had never really dealt with so much travel before because he says he does more than other Indigenous affairs ministers before him. So that was his, his defense there. And he says, no, 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 it's way better now, guys. Honest. I- Promise. I I'm promise. good we've hired. It's like having Richard Fian in the room with us. <laughs> I'm glad we've hired Emma's more. Emma's a one-woman show. More, more people in to fact, make Emma's sure that we're saving In fact, Emma's alone in the room money. right now doing all of this. 
she's the magic she, of editing. She's the Mel Blanc of. <laughs> 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 All right, let's move over to our regular segment now. Good stuff from the gallery, in which we recommend stuff that we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, what do you got for us? I hear it's really depressing. It is very depressing, but I think it's just such an important read. Um, it's called the. It's a piece called "The Final Terrible Voyage of the Nautilus." Um, which is the boat that uh, Kim Wall was murdered on. And so oh, it's it's a story in Wired, and it's actually written by one of her close friends who um, had been in communication with her like up until she took that voyage, had done freelance work with her, and just talking about kind of what kind of journalist she was and then also like kind of what has happened to, um, yeah, to her community, I guess, now that uh, Kim Wall suffered that tragic fate. Ooh, that does sound depressing. Cool. Thanks, Clancy. Um, Paula, what do you have for us? Oh, there's so much horrible news in the world this week. There I was, is. I thought about something about the you know newly engaged war in Syria. I thought about something about the Parkland school shooting and the way those uh, extraordinary young students are reacting to it. I thought about something about Tina Fontaine and the uh, very troubling Cormier murder verdict this week. But instead of all of that sadness... <laughs> Which you, I'm glad you didn't mention. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, something I've been listening to with great delight. It is uh, Canadian uh, novelist Heather O'Neill's uh, Kreisel Lecture, which she delivered in Edmonton uh, uh, a couple months ago, I think. Uh, but it was recorded for Ideas, and Ideas on CBC has done this great thing where they sort of interspersed the lecture as she's giving it with a Q&A with host Paul Kennedy. And it's a really fantastic sort of meditation on class divides in Canada and and what we don't talk about when we talk about class in this country. So it's funny and touching, but also, you know, quite a, an important statement about uh, economic class divisions in Canadian cities. And so I highly recommend listening to Heather O'Neill's Kreisel Lecture. I love her. I'm definitely going to listen to that. She's such a good novelist. Nice. Thanks, Paula. I'm going to recommend a piece from the New York magazine. It's called The Poison We Pick. The little kicker on it says, This nation pioneered modern life. Now epic numbers of Americans are killing themselves with opioids to escape it. So it's a really interesting look at the opioid epidemic that is sweeping, well, not just America, but also, you know, other Western nations as well. But it is it is an interesting kind of juxtaposition between what they used to say about opioids and how they could solve everything and it made everyone feel better and now how people are just, like the issues that it's caused and the epic amounts of death and destruction that it's causing all throughout North America and other parts of the world. Probably also a depressing read now that I think about it. Um, Graham? Oh boy. Bring us home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the lights is out in the studio today, and I think it's really just brought us all down a, oh, down a notch. Yeah, I'm not going to help. Um, <laughs> this is a daily thing I get, uh, an email from the Columbia Journalism Review folks. It's called The Media Today, and I've sent you a link to it. Thank I you. Get it every day it comes, well, every work day. Um, and it's a look at, it's actually it's an essay written by one of their writers and has links to um, a major story and how other media are covering it across the U.S. And, oh. And also has links. So in other words, the one yesterday was looking at the, um, uh, the debate over guns after Parkland. So it's looking at that, but it's also looking at how the kids themselves covered that shooting how the media covered the kids and some of the stories, and it links. It's a nice way of seeing, in a nutshell, the major stories of the day and how media are covering yeah, it. And de- it's not just the U.S. Yeah, 
and it looks at um, us as other issues. I'll go over one major issue linking different places, and it'll actually then go to, to other than individual stories that are interesting as to how the media worldwide are covering issues and how they are maybe under attack because of Donald Trump or whatever. So it's looking at news coverage through the eyes of, of journalists. Oh, that's fascinating. Really cool. Nice. Clancy, Paula, Graham, thank you guys so much for joining me on the press gallery. This week we do not have a video up online, so even though Paula looks absolutely beautiful with I put her... On, I put on lip gloss and I've got a really pretty scarf. It's true. We all do. And Gra- Graham, has, <laughs> Graham has lip gloss and a lovely pretty scarf. Right, thank you. <laughs> I washed my hair. I rolled out of bed. I, I bathed. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, of course, and we encourage you to subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you podcast. And as always, reach out if you have any questions, queries, comments, or concerns, or you just want to, you know, recommend a cake recipe or whatever, because I'm super into baking these days. So join us this time next week for more political fun on the Press Gallery.